0: Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio, WFMP LP Louisville. We broadcast from here in the historic Habern Building at 106.5 FM, but you can also catch us online anywhere you are in the world. Maybe you're taking a summer vacation, finally. Thank goodness. Post-vaccines, we're able to travel again. You can still listen to Forward Radio, your favorite community radio station, wherever you are at forwardradio.org. And hey, summer's the time to think about like doing new things, getting involved in new things. Well, why not get involved in Forward Radio? We rely entirely on volunteers. Whether you want to be on the air or behind the scenes, we need your help. And you can click participate at forwardradio.org and let us know about that interest. And we also rely entirely on your contributions. It only costs $20 a day for this great community resource. So we can totally afford this as a community if we all chip in a few bucks at click donate at forwardradio.org. Well, what we do here on sustainability now each week is we gather people from around the community who I want to learn more about. We're doing really interesting work. And so I'm really excited to get one of my colleagues from UofL in the studio with me in person. Welcome Dr. Luz Huntington-Moscow's
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Oh, it's so great to finally get you like in person. I've been having all these virtual sustainability council meetings with you for so long. Yes. Um, and I really have never gotten to dive into what you do outside of that context. So this is going to be fun. Uh, Luz is an assistant professor of nursing education yes. at UofL. Uh, maybe we want to dive into the difference between nursing and nursing education at some point in this conversation. But uh, what we're primarily going to talk about is that she's the director of the Community Engagement Core uh, at the U of L's Center for Integrative he- Environmental Health Sciences. A lot of words for yes. our listeners who probably are not familiar with all these things. Y- yes. <laughs> so um, I'll just quickly reference folks, you can learn more online, of course, at louisville.edu/slash CIEHS. So let's talk about the CIEHS, the Center for Integrative Health environmental health sciences uh what does that term mean what is what does that collective of group people do
1: so your listeners may be familiar with the envirome institute yes yes
0: i was going to mention that at some point right yes people may have heard of the green heart project where they're planting trees right
1: exactly so that we can envision that as kind of our sister group the envirome institute is the umbrella institute that covers all of our work in environmental health so we work closely. But with, it's fairly
0: new, right? Like, yes. Well, I, it's a year new and enough. a half. <laughs> oh, really?
1: Yeah. We got funded in July. No, only a year. July 2020, we were funded. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So you, you, I should have asked like, how long you've been at UofL. Your work at UofL predates all that, right?
1: Oh, yes. my. I've been at UofL since 2014 when I started my faculty appointment in the Department of Nursing, the School of Nursing.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. But did you always have a focus on environmental health?
1: Yes. I did my postdoc work at the University of Kentucky. I, I play no shame. favorites. No I shame. like them all. <laughs> uh, I did my postdoc work there with Dr. Ellen Hahn, where we focused on secondhand smoke and radon exposure in the home.
0: Oh, well, both of those things. Yes. It, like I would think one of them would be enough for Oh, a they guy kind to of work.
1: unfortunately, you know, when you're thinking about environmental health exposures, secondhand smoke and radon particles, they kind of synergize a little bit, which increases really? your risk for radon, expo- for radon exposure and then lung cancer. So, we do look at them together a lot because if you think about the particles, they kind of you can think of um, secondhand smoke particles as kind of sticky and they kind of combined and so it can increase your risk.
0: Oh wow I had no idea. Yeah. Interesting. Well I, I guess I'm <laughs> vaguely aware that there's like these synergistic effects out Absolutely. there. Absolutely
1: perfect word. For
0: all kinds of environmental health mm-hmm. risks, right? but my understanding about a lot of them is we haven't even studied them.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. Environmental health on a national, international level was just starting to really understand and look at mixtures of chemicals, whether they be airborne chemicals or different things that we're exposed to. That's why a lot of times in the work that I do, sometimes I'll work with youth in the community, particularly in Western Kentucky, and we talk about personal care products and the different numbers of personal care products that you use. We um, get together, in virtually lately. Yeah. And we do um, personal care product inventories where we oh, kind of write cool. down everything we use in one day, what's our daily routine? And that's deodorant, shampoo, conditioner, toothpaste. For, you know, uh, your tr- body spray. Yes. <laughs> Traditionally, you know, some people may wear a cosmetic, So that's another whole realm of personal care product. And so we talk about those. We look at the work, the Environmental Working Group, EWG Online. They are a nonprofit group working to do a lot of advocacy in this area. And they have rankings and databases where you can look at the different chemicals in the products that you use.
0: Down to the chemicals rather than, like, the brand name, this, this Axe Body Spray, Both. for instance. Oh, Both. really? Yes, okay. personal
1: care products. Their database is called the Skin Deep Database, and they have over 60,000 products cataloged. Oh, wow. The cleaning products one, because they have one for household cleaning products as well, they only have about 2,500 in that one, but it's newer. So with time, it'll get better.
0: So the... Integrative part in the name of the Center for Integrative Health Sciences is that what we're talking about? Where we're where we're talking about an integrated understanding of these different kinds of environmental health threats yes. and and how they add up.
1: I I think that's a great way to start that. Yes, and then also the exposures you may encounter and your lifestyle because oh, you're making right. it's a environmental health. Plastics pollution, air pollution, these are all systems problems. Right. But you do have different layers of things where you can empower individuals to do what they can do to protect themselves till we have bigger system change in place, right? So the integrative is just raising awareness of some of this. It's a real different way of thinking than maybe our grandparents who canned their food and and had fewer choices but choices may have been more local right so i think it's and
0: maybe the choices were less threatening not that there weren't environmental health threats in the past but it seems right. like it seems like there's an explosion as technologies and chemical engineering expands right yes. there's, there's all these new things we're exposed to that never used to be true right
1: yes and it's it's as though the 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 threats or the exposures evolve, right? Because way back when we had the Ch- the Cuyahoga River fires right. and things like that. And we don't see that now in the United States, although they do see it in other countries that don't have those kind of regulations in place. But the you know, we're always changing. We're dynamic populations and societies, so there's always new things that pop up.
0: Wow! So this is this is a field that's not going away anytime soon. No, right? not at all. <laughs> uh, and it's leading to all kinds of health impacts, diseases that uh, maybe we saw in the past, but with not as much frequency, right? Like yes. cancer rates, for instance, have really yes. increased, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and so there's a lot of work to be done. Just to, I would, I would imagine it's like sleuthing out, like how did this population end up with this particular health challenge, and then yes. trying to trace it back to environmental and lifestyle uh, choices or or exposures, right?
1: Yes, and not only that, but the social determinants of health, yeah. right? We definitely have environmental racism that we need to deal with because certain neighborhoods are. Um, because of systemic issues that we have, are more targeted for this, and therefore need. If we're really thinking about health equity, we need to be aware of that discrepancy and and do what we can to um, even that out and make people safe.
0: Yeah, <laughs> even it's it's so I I love when we talk about this because it gets into all kind of like ethical quandaries. Like really, we want to make everybody suffer equally or no maybe i should put
1: a positive (laughs) spin on that everybody be safe equally right equal
0: opportunity to be safe yeah that that's a great way to think about it uh yeah oh i'm glad we're talking about environmental justice already i knew this was going to be deep we're just jumping in already uh can we can we back up and try and define what environmental health means because it, it seems like you've already brought up so many things that like like lifestyle choices I don't know is that my environment uh, and then there's both you know na- exposure to n- nature I mean that can be a benefit mm-hmm. um, nature also provides us risks like our poisonous snakes and environmental health risks. I, I, yes. but then there's the you know anthropogenic risks uh, that we're exposed to so what does it all encompass How do you try and narrow down the field because it seems so big?
1: I can't narrow it down okay. because I want you I want all of us to have this discussion where we understand that it's a very broad topic Um, environmental health is a branch of public health so it's um, and it involves your interface with the environment good or bad right so it and when I'm talking to, we've done a lot of youth sessions in the last six months where we're working with high school age students who are interested in healthcare professions, but also maybe interested in environmental oh, yeah, health. Yeah. And so we're just trying to give them an understanding of how broad this topic can be. Yeah, really. Pers- we've mentioned already personal care products, microplastics, plastics yeah. pollution. We, um, I noticed that U um, of L Sustainability was talking about. Um, International Pollinators Week. We talked about bees as pollinators in our sessions just to understand that interface and our impact on bee populations. Um, It's water quality, air quality, soil quality. It's any of those um, chemical exposures you may be in contact with. We... um, have a real close synergy with occupational health, which is specific to what you do in your own employment. For example, nurses may come in contact with certain um, chemotherapies that they have to make sure don't get on their hands and they don't walk out of the hospital with them, things like that.
0: Yeah. And of course, during the pandemic, we all became familiar with a lot of these risks and these systems. Both, like how, in terms of like how to protect ourselves, you mentioned that earlier, uh, but also some of the injustices, and we're seeing it right now in this stage of the pandemic, the global injustice yes. of access to vaccines, access to PPE, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, so,
0: I mean, I th- I think our our citizenry right now is really kind of hyper aware of some of these issues, but I guess the challenge for us now is to translate some of those those lessons from the pandemic into more. Day, day-to-day concerns. We have a pandemic. It's called climate change, right? <laughs> there yes. were, you know, there's all these other pandemics we're suffering from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just hope we can <laughs> learn some of those lessons and and, and go forward with more justice uh, and also a smarter management of our environment. I guess that's one way to put it, right?
1: I like one of the words that I'm going to fixate on and what you said is the translation of it, right? Because yeah. sometimes you're right. These, these issues are very interrelated and very networked and connected and to make those connections more visible to us is really, it'll help us come up with better solutions because things are just not very straightforward. They're very complicated. And I'll, just just to make note, environmental health does claim... Um, infectious disease. So we do do a lot of work in, um, you know, right now, COVID-19. But before that, Zika or chikungunya or all these infectious diseases, dengue fever, they're not necessarily always infectious diseases that we see in the United States regularly. But globally, that is part of environmental health.
0: Wow, it's such a big field.
1: It, It really is. And climate change, as you said, which is big enough on its own.
0: Right, because it it amplifies a lot of these threats, uh, like you were mentioning. (laughs) I mean, it's with so many things in climate change, it's always hard to put a really fine point on it and to say, well, this particular outbreak or pandemic was directly related to some climate change issue. But I think I think it's fair to say that uh, as humans encroach upon natural systems, mm-hmm. we, we're likely to get exposed to more and more of these potential threats that are sort of out there in the environment, but are okay if we kind of leave some, so at least some parts of nature alone, right?
1: Yeah, it's, you're right. It's very protective because because... because um, public health and environmental health have had the understanding that pandemics have been possible for a long time. I've been teaching nursing since 2006. And even back then, because my subject area is community health and global health, even back then we were talking about the potential for pandemics. And we always thought it was going to be an avian flu that would catch us off guard. We never really talked about it being a coronavirus that would get us. But um it's part of nature. You're right. It's it's a natural system that that um we can kind of anticipate can get out of balance and yeah here we are right
0: well i don't want to spend the whole show talking about the pandemic but if i could just ask one more question sure. about it from a, a from a professional's perspective like yours were you and, and people in your field um were you surprised by this pandemic outbreak and, and if so what about it was particularly surprising
1: I think anybody would have been surprised because um, even though we're professionals and we've been talking about this theoretically yeah. for many years, <laughs> um, it's not something that our generation has lived through, right? So I I see it as very much um, – I see it in a historical perspective, and I don't know if that's my personal view or my professional view, but I just think of generations previous to us that have experienced World War II or World War One or experienced um, – Um, the flu of 1918. It is a very generational sort of thing that has come upon us that will label us as a generation that lived through this together. Um, It's a really scary thing and there's a lot to work out. But at the same time, we've dealt with these big global societal things before and, and moved on successfully. So I'm very hopeful. And I think that we always can do better but yeah. we can get through it together as well
0: yeah no i think you're you're exactly right i think all of us took a historical perspective immediately because it was so shockingly weird we all knew we were in this moment and what a weird thing to live through a historical moment like that where you know it in the instant yes. uh, that this is going to be like world changing uh and and immediately people were referencing that 1918 flu uh, and and trying to see, look to the past to see a way forward for us so i think that's that point is spot on i'm talking today here on sustainability now with dr luz huntington moscos she's an assistant professor of nursing education at uofl and director of the fairly new community engagement core of the center for integrative environmental health sciences we're talking about environmental health today and you can learn more at louisville.edu slash c-i-e-h-s um and i just said ehs and i thought oh environmental health and safety that's like a department at the university right that deals with these very issues right but that's kind of a separate one that's well i don't know how much do you interact with them
1: i i myself don't right now but i believe we're under the same umbrella of the in the Byrome institute so we are trying to network there's just so much work to do <laughs> right. that there's just not enough hours in the day sometimes to make as many connections as we could yeah but i believe that the university is getting better and better at that yeah. i mean the ViRome institute has really networked us and um Dr. States and Dr. Botnagar work very closely, so they are often the administrative heads of a lot of these um, visions and forward movement. So yeah. I think there's a lot more networking going on with each year that passes.
0: Oh, cool. Well, give us a sense of the scale of this this center uh, and, and your community engagement core. How many people are involved here?
1: Okay, so maybe I can even take that lens out a little further. Sure, yeah. So um, this center is funded by the National Institutes of Health, it's called a p30 center a center for environmental health excellence and there are about i believe there are 22 nationwide okay i might be wrong there might be 26 for some reason those two numbers stick in my head yeah but um they're they're scattered across the united states as you might imagine there's a few more on the coasts right so we're really what the population centers are yeah exactly we're very happy to be a funded one here in Kentucky, and we also have uh, like a sister funded one at UK. They um, at University of Kentucky, their UK Cares P thirty Center focuses on Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia, oh, and no. ours focuses on um, the Greater Louisville area and Western Kentucky. So we're working with colleagues at the AHEC centers, Adult Health Education Centers that are also run through the University of Louisville. So we're working with communities in Bowling Green and duca and owensboro to reach out to their youth to reach out to their health care providers and different residents to talk about home pollutants and air quality and those sorts of real relevant day-to-day sorts of environmental health issues
0: yeah so you said AHEC, adult health health and yet you education. talked about working with youth
1: yes they um <laughs> they're great organizations because and there's um Four chapters in the west of our state and um, they do great work with pipeline work for youth that are interested in health professions. So they do their work in the communities and they do their outreach in communities and you're right, health adult is in the the title (laughs) but they do great work just exposing young people to different health professions and I've worked with them. We just finished a summer environmental health program, a seven session all the month of June so it's just getting youth involved next generation right wow. kind of bringing them into these issues and building up their knowledge in health professions
0: okay so it's kind of like a, a pipeline for future students maybe at ufl school of nursing or, or yes. school of medicine or i think they go into all sorts of medical Absolutely. fields right um but are are youth an important part of the solution for environmental health as well is that another reason to target them
1: I think they're one part of it. I don't want to over because um, I just think there are generational differences in the way we consume our information, in the way that we purchase things, Um, you know. I'm a I'm a generation Xer, so I am an, an 80s child. Yeah, me so too. I, I do understand what the world was like before we had all these choices in the grocery I know, store. I know, I right?
0: know. It's overwhelming to me yeah. still.
1: And before we had all these takeout containers and before we had all this plastic utensils that mm-hmm. we were using mm. – I am almost I feel like sometimes the the seventies and eighties kids are like a bridge between, mm. you know, the the generation that understood the depression and yeah, World War Two yeah. and then this younger generation that understands um, shared economies and Uber and Airbnb <laughs> and and all the stuff that they do on social media, which has, you know, everything has its good and bad and its yin right. and yang. So I think that we, in terms of environmental health, need to reach out in all directions and particularly this digital divide that I'm contending with. Yeah. So uh, in my position, I need to reach out to a lot of different people and I've had a lot of different age ranges. I'm talking about youth a lot cause that's my, my home.
0: Uh-huh. But
1: um, we work with older individuals as well in Western Kentucky communities. And I, we've had um, like zoom calls where everybody called in, nobody used their computer because they're not comfortable using the app or having yeah. a, so I got to remember that. All these technologies are not the answer to everything. <laughs> you know, people still read the paper and people want to meet in person. And we have a range of generations we're dealing with. So just relying on Zoom and Teams and apps on your phone isn't going to cut it.
0: Yeah. And I... you. You're not only dealing with the generational divides, but rural and urban divides must be huge in your work as well. Yes, that's the story a, of
1: my life. <laughs> yeah,
0: and certainly there's a digital divide too, which isn't necessarily just urban rural. Like there are parts of Louisville that have terrible yes. internet access too, right? Absol-
1: access is the great word for it. Absolutely. I live in a rural community, but I work here Um for quite some time, I've been teaching nursing on our Owensboro Extension campus. Yes. So I um, kind of um, bridge both those areas. I like being really involved in Louisville, but I also have a hand in some of the rural communities on both sides of the river. So.
0: Yeah. So that tell us a little bit more about how that urban-rural divide informs knowledge about environmental health. I mean, has this generational internet access the digital generation uh has that helped um give access to environmental health information or does it i mean what do you think the rural communities know more about this than they used to
1: that's a good question and i'm not honestly very sure yeah. i do think i Curious as a that. professional can't invest only in technologies yeah. like social media and and um, virtual platforms. Yeah. I have to be smart about putting in op-eds and doing things in community papers and um, being open to teleconferencing with phone calls and not just visual, yeah. virtual teleconferencing. Um, I think you have to be agile and flexible. I think if we go too far forward with these technologies, we leave too many people behind.
0: Right, right. Well, so you've, you've been talking about how, I don't know if it happened during the pandemic or not, but certainly pre-pandemic you were teaching out in Owensboro. Mm-hmm. Um, do, it, do do you ever in, involve any of the sort of central UofL students in that work? Do they connect at all with those students or these youth that you're trying to reach?
1: I, I'm a... a environmental health nerd so i <laughs> i inevitably my students will probably tell you i inevitably talk about that yeah. um, but most recently i've been working with a colleague who has co- close ties to eastern kentucky so we've been kind of bridging eastern and western and um, we've been working with the farming communities so dr cheryl witt is at the school of nursing and she's very interested in, in well-being in farming communities mental health and just resilience and so she had a lot of our students um, talk to, to, to different farming communities and try to understand their perspective and get some key informant sort of insight. And they developed some, um, short videos about, um, risk for heart attack, risks for stroke and prevention for COVID-19. So kind of blending that nursing and environmental health in very unique, trying to tailor it to communities.
0: Mm, okay. Okay. And I'm curious to learn more about Western Kentucky and Mm -hmm. and maybe what some of the particular environmental health challenges are in that part of our state. I mean, most of us know that that's where some of our coal fields are or Mm -hmm. used to be. I don't know. (laughs) They're still operating out there. Uh, Does that translate into environmental health challenges? Are there other big ones we should know about?
1: Sure. So when we first started thinking about the um, the value of pursuing a center like this. Um, we sat down and looked at some super fun sites in the state of Kentucky and their last count that I had. And, you know, there's always need to go back and revisit, but yeah. there was about 18, 20 Superfund sites across the state. Wow. And by and large, 15 plus were in Western Kentucky. Wow! So that was in and of itself a, uh, We need to be looking at this and thinking about our citizens in Western Kentucky.
0: And- and just to find what a superfund site is for those who may not so be it's one familiar. that
1: has like a legacy pollutant that needs to be dealt with that has been co- there is government involvement and supervision so that's usually what we're talking about it related to industry and you know we learn more as we move forward so hopefully we're learning and we'll have fewer of those moving forward but
0: and some examples here in louisville that people might be familiar with we have, what, the black leaf uh, pesticide site in West mm-hmm. Louisville. They're, they're almost all in West Louisville, right? And
1: some of these, there's a distinction between Superfund and Brownsfield and those sort But the, but the quick translation of it is there's been some chemical exposure that needs to be dealt with moving forward. Yeah. So um, you asked about the difference between urban and rural. Um, another reason why this center is so nice is because we did talk about how we could look at both. Um, Kentucky is really unique. It has a lot of industry and agriculture very in very close setting because we have the Ohio River and the industry Is peppered along the Ohio River. And then we have lots of agriculture with farming and livestock. And so each one of those brings a different exposure, pesticides, different chemical contaminants. I'm particularly interested in growing into understanding how flooding in particular Mm. affects our citizenry. um, Because we have a lot of industry right along the Ohio River. And when it floods, are there concerns that we need to let people know about so they can steer clear of that? And when the flooding recedes, do we need to think about what's happened to the soil that's left behind? Um, these things we're going to grow into as a center. We're not doing that work just yet, but that is definitely on the horizon.
0: Yeah, my gosh, you just got me thinking. Is Rubber Town here in Louisville inside the flood wall? Surely it must be.
1: You know, I'm not sure. Maybe <laughs> it write makes that me down. wonder,
0: right? Uh, there, yeah. there could be some industry that, that is still outside of it, um, and and that's yeah, that's really scary because that mobilizes those contaminants and risks all kinds of. I've
1: only seen um, colleagues in New York doing a lot of that work, and hmm. I think it may have been spurred by, you know, Superstorm Sandy and that kind of oh, work. Oh, right. So they're really, from what I can tell, they're leading the way, but I do think that kind of work is applicable here and worth looking into for for Kentucky residents.
0: Well, there's your direct climate change connection there, right? Right. And something it's... like flooding and superstorms uh, can mm-hmm. really mobilize some of these environmental health threats.
1: I, as an environmental health nurse researcher, am connected to a lot of nurses around the country. And so I have colleagues in um, Washington state who also look at wildfire impacts on asthma because of the particulate matter that results. And as you all know, we've had huge heat waves in that part of the country in mm. just the recent weeks. So, yes, mm. lots of connection to climate change. Mm.
0: Well, what else is, is important for us to know about Western Louisville's, uh, Western Kentucky's uh, I- industry and and legacy of environmental contaminants? What are some of these industries? You know, when I think of Western Kentucky, I think of nuclear in Paducah. Is that what? Tell me more about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't. Um, We in our grants are t- have a tiered progress. So we have started with the Bowling Green region oh, okay. and we're going to move to what's the West AHEC in the owensboro region and then by our third year we'll move to paducah and that allows us to be a little more tailored in our approach so i'll come back and talk to you (laughs) in like 18 months and then i'll be better educated because i need to let the the citizens of paducah educate me too yeah sure so i can see um our role as the community engagement core because our center has five cores and the goal is to get our um our investigators at U of L to be focused on on issues that are very relevant to Kentuckians, yeah. and to bind them and to network them better? And then we do our outreach to communities in Kentucky, and so we work on pilot projects. We have a core for data analysis and lab analysis. We have a core for biostatistics, so we can really look at that and see how it, the how the data is meaningful. We have. Um, and then we have mine, which is the Community Engagement core. Yeah. And the Community Engagement core seeks to, like you said earlier, translate. So we try to talk to our investigators. What are you doing? Why is this important to real people? How can I share this information mm-hmm. to you? Mm-hmm. Um, we've been working on improving every day our, our website, which as we grow will get better, but with clear fact sheets on different issues like air particulates and and. We haven't gotten to climate change, but different sorts of issues that we have citizens tell us they're interested in. So air particulates, we're working on mold right now, Yeah, things of that nature.
0: And I'll put a link to the website, too, in the show notes of the podcast version of this show, which you will be able to find at forwardradio.org. You're listening to me, Justin Mogg, here on Sustainability Now on Forward Radio. And I'm so delighted to have in studio with me Dr. Luz Huntington-Moscos, who I know from the UofL Sustainability Council, but she's also an assistant professor of nursing education at UofL and director of the Community Engagement Corps of the Center for Integrative Environmental Health Sciences. I have to slow down when I say it, because I know I'm going Gonna skip a word <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of letters, lot in, lot of letters yeah. in there um, so so okay so you have started out mostly working looking at bowling green mm-hmm. now when i think of bowling green i think of two things and this is how biased my ridiculously small bubble is of louisville right i, I think of sinkholes mm-hmm. and the karst topography down there both of which Uh, you know, could be considered an environmental threat. Like I I think about groundwater pollution a lot when I think about the cars topography. Uh The other thing I think of is Corvettes, right? And, And cars. Now, are these things, cars and sinkholes, are those part of the environmental health world?
1: No, and you know I need to think about that. The karst geology is though. okay. So the karst geology is what gives us all these beautiful caves I in know, this region, yeah. right? But they're dangerous so, in a way too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, that karst geology is what allows. So in the ground, in the soil, your is rad, um, uranium is naturally present, and yes. when it breaks down, is when we get our radon gas. And the karst geology, because it has all these holes and nooks and crannies, the gas kind of bubbles up through the soil as using those kind of holes and caves and things and then can can go into our homes.
0: So there's more radon exposure in the Bowling Green area than, say, in Louisville.
1: Yes, we'll no, not necessarily. Oh, really? Um there is a um, karst geology throughout it, the state of Kentucky. Yep. So okay. it it dictates our radon potential. Okay. So, and the 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 difficult thing about radon is each home where it's built and how it's built is unique unto itself. Right. So you could be built upon a karst sort of rich area but um, if your home, your foundation is built a certain way, you can. Ha- now we have um, construction methods that are a little bit more radon resistant. Oh, really? So if radon professionals were involved in building your home, and it's maybe a little newer that might be more protected. So we never know. So that's why we encourage everyone to test their homes, right? You can buy a short-term radon kit online. You can get them at Home Depot and Lowe's, all those places there. I think commercially, if you just went into the box store, they're about $12, $15 a piece. You can get them for a little bit less than that online. Um, And so we encourage everyone to test their homes to see what their radon is. We did that with my summer environmental health. Um, program we oh, had yeah? we had the youth test their homes talk to their parents we sent them a free kit um and we had did anyone
0: them... come back and say oh my god lose no
1: we, <laughs> the, we, we got good news oh, good. <laughs> it was very very low so i was very pleased it's nice to have that peace of mind so yeah. we got to the um, the students shared their responses um and so we were pleased to see the results and we talked about them and it was nice to put it in real world context.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So is this, is Radon something you want to just check for once or or does the threat evolve over time?
1: So, um, the the national messaging is january is radon awareness month okay because our homes are nice and closed yeah
0: exactly and so when
1: they're sealed like that it kind of gives us Mm. a good sense of how much is seeping into the home so winter months are a little bit better Um, If you get an elevated level, which is anything over four picocuries per liter, they ask you to retest or do a long-term test, which is a three-month test. I see. So it's basically a double check. And then they ask you to, um, if you ever remodel your home, to check again. Yes. Because you've changed things up. You don't know how that might affect how things are moving into your home. And you always check the most utilized lowest level of your home okay so if you don't if you have an unfinished basement you don't really go down there a lot they don't necessarily encourage you to test that but where you spend a lot of time
0: yeah okay and what would be symptoms of uh radon exposure
1: see that's the trick that's the kicker you're asking excellent (laughs) questions so radon is colorless odorless yeah you can't see it you can't taste it yeah so and like many environmental exposures, we're learning that small chronic exposures Mm. are more worrisome Mm. than big acute exposures. Obviously acute exposures are not good either, but with radon, it's that small exposure over decades that Mm. can increase your lung cancer risk because lung cancer is a disease of adults, not necessarily of children.
0: I see, and you mentioned if if there's a smoker in the house, you're you're especially amplifying that risk. Yes, right? very true. And so, besides stopping smoking, uh, what would one do if one found high levels of radon? Are there ways to mitigate?
1: Yes, there are. So you can get in touch with a radon-certified professional. Okay um it's not so let me just be honest and straightforward about this to get radon mitigation in your home it is a hit to your host household budget sure it yeah. can range anywhere from 700 to 1200 dollars, depending on your home and what kind of foundation you have you do need to reach out to a radon professional um and it doesn't necessarily to put your mind at ease it doesn't necessarily have to be fixed like the next day, right. you know, if you needed to <laughs> save for a month to get to make that a priority, that's completely reasonable. You just want to make sure that you address it.
0: And do you happen to know if there's like any government programs for people who can't afford this mitigation?
1: There are healthy home programs okay. in different states that can re- you can reach out to for resources. Yeah. There's also on the EPA, the citizen's guide to Radon on that can give you some insight in that, too, to help you with the process.
0: Great. Well, radon in and secondhand smoke, those are two common examples of indoor air quality concerns. But there's there's a lot more that scientists are starting to find. And we're starting to find that the indoor air quality can actually be worse than the outdoor, right?
1: Yes. <laughs> Scary. But makes sense, right, because we strive to have energy-efficient homes, and we want to save money on our heating and cooling bills, too. Right, so right. just by naturally being humans, we're trying to play that smart, right? We're trying to keep windows and doors closed to keep all that cool air in. We're trying to keep the warm air in in the wintertime. Right. But the less air exchange that you have, the more you're keeping that Febreze that you sprayed or that candle that you lit or that diffuser that you put on or the perfume that you sprayed. Right. All these things are particulates. That's why we can smell them. We smell those particulates and they just kind of mix in our environment. So I think we're coming to a point where we're seeing the good lessons of maybe our grandparents, where they (laughs) open the windows. Let's get some of that fresh air in. Let's kind of have some air exchange, right? Open up the windows, just clear it out.
0: And yet, here in Louisville, on a hot, sunny day in the summer, when we get these air quality alert days, what is the advice Stay inside, close all your windows. Right?
1: Yes, you're right. So we almost have to time it and just be a little aware. Plus, when I'm working with the youth, and obviously the, the youth are always tuned into their technology, oh, but yeah. we talk about they got using... alerts,
0: they got apps. Yes,
1: we talk about a map app like Google Maps and things like yeah. that, because you always have the air quality index in the lower right-hand corner, right? So if you're traveling somewhere, you'll see the AQI, and hopefully it's green because it goes by the stoplight coating. So when the air quality is good, you'll see that green AQI with a number in it. And then if it's a little concerning, you'll see it's been very yellow in the Louisville area. Yeah. So our air quality is not as good as we would like, but, but at least we can be aware. In July.
0: That's, that's common That's yes. common, right? Yes, it's just
1: hot, right? It's just
0: hot yes you get all this traffic releasing particulates and and the sunlight and the heat and then we get ozone right yes and so yeah then we have to balance this concern about outdoor air quality and we we know could be unhealthy indoor air quality so again Besides, you know, the, we talked about radon mitigation, but more commonly, how how do you advise the public to help improve their indoor air quality besides just ventilation? Like that's one way to sort of mitigate this problem. Yes. But how do we avoid it in the first place?
1: I do want to say, before I answer that, systems change is really needed. It's not <laughs> us as individuals, our only responsibility. So I don't want to sound like we all individually need it's to not fix our the problem. Fault. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, we, we, as a collective we need to address it. I always like to say that first. But there are certain things you can do. Open up your windows, as we said. You could buy plants. There are certain plants that are really good, like peace lilies and aloe vera plants and ficus trees. They're excellent indoor air filters. And plus, greenery has lots of benefits besides just air filtration. Um, We also know that you can purchase... I don't think they're super low cost, but, you know, under $100 air filters that have like a charcoal activated filter or a HEPA filter in there. Again, that's an expense that not everyone has in in hand. And then if you're in the market for a new vacuum cleaner, getting one with a HEPA filter, Mm. because often those vacuum cleaners, when they have a HEPA filter, they will vacuum and release cleaner air because it's gone through that HEPA Mm.
0: filter. Yes, when I try to sweep instead of vacuum, but sometimes I just feel like I gotta get it done with a vacuum cleaner. And if there's a lot of sunlight beaming in, I see all these particulates that I'm throwing around, right? (laughs) Because I have an old, believe me, an old used vacuum cleaner. I don't have anything fancy. Uh, So I can see how that, you know, maybe I should be wearing a respirator when I
1: vacuum. (laughs) I don't know about that, but but there are some things, right, you can use. And just being aware of products that you use And when I talk to people, this is not a get rid of everything conversation. I think it's more of prioritize what you really love and just be aware of what's really not necessary. So maybe you love that candle that you have and you get a lot of relaxation from lighting the candle in the evenings or whatever yet you do, but you don't necessarily need the Febreze. You know, you can kind of just that little awareness, keep what you love and prioritize it and then set aside what might just be extraneous.
0: And it's it's not just the sort of household day-to-day products, but it's also some of the building materials, some of the surfaces of our furniture and things like that. Uh, paints, right? Like we've heard about these VOCs, volatile organic compounds, and yes. trying to avoid those and buy paints or renovating our kitchen with low VOC products, right?
1: Absolutely. And maybe factoring in some time where you keep the windows open after you've painted to kind of get some of that air exchange. Yeah. And yes, purchasing certain products so different laminates may have off-gassing that happens so really asking those questions when you invest you're investing in products right your your money is powerful and so making those choices as a statement for what you think is important in your home
0: you know what i always wonder about too when we talk about indoor air quality is is automobiles Mm -hmm. and everybody loves that new car smell isn't that just volatile organic compounds (laughs) and and like have there been studies of indoor air quality in automobiles
1: you know, that would be another thing for me to, to write down because I'm nothing comes to mind. Hmm. But like you said, that smell wears off. Right. Yeah. So rolling down those windows that assists with that. So, yes, you're absolutely yeah. right. I hate to spoil that for people because, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's nice.
0: No, we need to spoil that. <laughs> I'm down with that. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. We're very much near the end of our time. Um, I guess I just have one last question for you as an environmental health professional there's there's this apocryphal story we talk about in sustainability about the person who's walking along the banks of a river and sees a baby drowning right and and jumps in to save it pulls it back to the bank and then there's another baby drowning and jumps in to save that and spends all their time trying to save these babies and never looks upstream so i wonder if the environmental health field often feels like that like we're we're constantly trying to mitigate these problems that are created upstream you've mentioned earlier that systemic change is needed so i guess this is maybe one last opportunity to sort of drive that point home or or how does it feel does it feel that way to you like the apocryphal story
1: yes and no what I like to focus on is Understanding our humanness yeah. a little. So I, I'm a professional, but I'm also a mom. Yeah. And so I know how busy life can get. Uh, yeah. And it's very easy to get into the rhythm and just try to get through things. And so sometimes it's hard for us to, to focus on these sorts of issues, especially now in COVID, we're trying to get from one day to the next successfully right. and safely. Right. And so my job is really to try to create a space where we can stop and talk about this, and then people can integrate it into their way of life. It's a big order. I feel a lot of empathy for people because I know how hard it is to be working and raising a family and doing that well without regrets, right? So I think my job is to help us keep saving those babies, but help us to do both I, I, I want it all so I'm just going to keep working at that me too and, and, and we're going to make it happen one day at a time
0: both and for me yeah that's great what a good note to end on Dr. Luce Huntington-Moscow thank you so much for taking the time to join me today
1: I enjoyed it thank you
0: great we'll have to have you back sometime and we learn more about Paducah and yes. other areas of western Kentucky but for now folks can go to louisville.edu slash CIEHS to get more information about the Center for Integrative Environmental Health Sciences all right, stay tuned, my friends. Coming up in just a second, your community action calendar with all kinds of ideas for how you can get engaged in sustainability this week. So stay tuned.
1: Summertime in August feels like we're going to melt away. I've been working all the time, and I need somebody.
0: All right, my friends, we are back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mock, on your community radio station, WFMP LP Louisville. And let's get our pencils sharpened and our calendars out. Let's jump right in. it. There's so much to do for sustainability this week coming up on Tuesday, July 20th. Well, it is the Phoenix Hill Nulu Farmers Market, of course, taking place at 1007 Jefferson Street, but this one. One is special this is your opportunity to get your senior vouchers at the farmers market neighborhood place will sign up eligible seniors on site at the phoenix hill new farmers market on tuesday the 20th from 3 to 4 30 p.m even though the market will stay open until 6 p.m now to qualify for these senior farmers market vouchers you must be over 60 years old id is required and self-declare that you have an income less than 185 percent of the poverty level or nearly $2,000 a month for one person or $2,600 a month for two people. For more information on these Senior Farmers Market Nutrition Program vouchers, call 502-573-0282. And for more about the Phoenix Hill Nulu Market, you can call 502-626-7194. Celebrate local food, fresh food access for our seniors. And uh, if you know any seniors who might qualify, bring them on out on Tuesday from 3 to 4.30 at the Phoenix Hill Anulu Market. Also on Tuesday at 6 p.m., there's going to be a great event uh, hearkening back to our recent conversation with the fine folks from Herbicide Free Campus. Well, they're putting on an event on Tuesday at 6 p.m. That's virtual so everyone can participate. It's called Toxic Legacy, how the weed killer glyphosate, which you've maybe seen many of your friendly neighbors and businesses spraying all over Tarnation this time of year, uh, is destroying our health and our environment you can join our former guests on this program from herbicide free campus for a compelling conversation on tuesday at 6 p.m with author stephanie seneff as we discuss her newest book toxic legacy join herbicide free Campus's bridget gustafson for a conversation over instagram live at instagram.com slash herbicide free campus that's tuesday at 6 p.m it's going to be live at instagram.com slash herbicide free campus now also on Tuesdays at 6, you're going to have to pick one of these great virtual events. It's the Virtual Wild and Scenic Red River Fest, continuing this Tuesday the 20th at 6pm. The Kentucky Waterways Alliance invites you to join them for the Virtual Wild and Scenic Red River Fest every Tuesday in July and August, again at 6pm on Zoom, hosted by Kentucky Waterway Alliance's Red River Watershed Coordinator Laura Gregory. Join from anywhere as KWA presents this fourth annual Red River Even though it's the first time they're doing it virtually, with fun and informational topics about Red River. So, coming up this 20th of July on Tuesday at 6 p.m., it's Leave No Trace, presented by Leave No Trace Adventures. Christy Abrams and it continues throughout all of August it's a free family friendly event and you can learn more about the whole series and register at kwalliance.org every Tuesday at 6pm on Zoom now coming up on Wednesday also online July 21st at 6pm it's the July Green Drinks featuring our community microgrant winning project The Garden Project with guest speaker Aaron Clayton from Field Elementary The Garden Project program is focused on positively impacting our youth and encouraging healthy lifestyle choices by helping children understand the value and importance of locally grown produce, nutritiously balanced meals with fresh vegetables and herbs, and the importance of supporting local growers, reducing the need to transport cross-country. You can learn more about this and register at Louisville louisvillesustainabilitycouncil.org and the July Green Drinks is coming up on Wednesday, the 21st 6-7pm to 7 p.m. online line, LouisvilleSustainabilityCouncil.org. Now, also Wednesday the 21st at 6.30 p.m., Jewish Voice for Peace of Kentucky presents a free screening of Occupation 101, Voices of the Silenced Majority. This movie is one of the best comprehensive resources for understanding the occupation of Palestine by Israel. It details life under military rule, the role of the United States, and the obstacles in the way of a lasting and viable peace. The movie was made in 2006 and is 90 minutes long, and they will bring you up to date on the current situation during the discussion period after the film the film focuses on the effects of the israeli occupation of the west bank and gaza strip occupation 101 includes interviews with mostly american and israeli scholars religious leaders humanitarian workers and ngos more than half of whom are jewish Who are critical of the injustices and human rights abuses stemming from Israeli policy in the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza. For more information, find Louisville Committee for Peace in the Middle East on Facebook. Or just come on out this Wednesday the 21st at 6.30 p.m. in the Mid-City Mall Highlands Shelby Park Library for this free screening and discussion of Occupation 101. Now, coming up on Thursday, July 22nd at 7 p.m., join us for a community conversation on neighborhood planning right here in Louisville. On July 22nd, Center for Neighborhoods hosts an evening presentation featuring the ULL Masters of Urban Planning Capstone students. Together we'll explore their equity analysis of the neighborhood planning process and implementation in Louisville. It's going to be on Facebook Live and Zoom on Thursday, July 22nd at 7 p.m., and you can register. At bit.ly, bit.ly slash planning and equity, all spelled out. That's bit.ly slash planning and equity. Or you can join us on Facebook Live on um, the Center for Neighborhoods Facebook at Center for Neighborhoods. It's this Thursday at 7 p.m on Friday, July 23rd. It's the next in the monthly pop-up drop-offs. Free recycling uh, of all kinds of items coming up at Metro Fleet Services out at 3515 Newburgh Road on Friday, July 23rd. From 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., they'll be accepting electronics, up to three different electronics for recycling, metal and appliances for recycling, all your typical household recyclables if you live in a place where you can't just put them on the curb. Uh, There'll be also... uh, Uh, prescription medication disposable disposal Uh, you don't want to flush that stuff you don't want to put it in a landfill Uh, and the best way to do it is to bring it out to one of these pop-up drop-offs 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Friday July 23rd at Metro Fleet Services 3515 Newburgh Road can also drop off yard waste for composting. Uh, There'll be on-site paper shredding if you have documents that need to be shredded and composted, and there'll be recycling of passenger tires up to four per household. Uh, And again, that is this Friday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. out at Metro Fleet Services. Now, also coming up on Friday, July 23rd and Saturday, July 24th at Idle Wild Butterfly Farm, it is the Moth Ball from 6 to 10 p.m. each night, Friday and Saturday. And they're located at 1100 Logan Street, right across from the Logan Street Market. In celebration of National Moth Week, Idle Wild Butterfly Farm presents Moth Ball, featuring guided moth observation with entomologists and moth experts, family friendly moth education and fun nighttime moth house, moth merchandise, food and beer for purchase, and special nightly activities. There is an admission charge, but it is reasonable. More information is available at idlewildbutterflyfarm.com. That's I-D-L-E, wildbutterflyfarm.com. And again, it's Friday and Saturday, 6 to 10 p.m. at Idlewild over on Logan Street. Now, also coming up Saturday the 24th, At 11 a.m., it is a rally and march for improved Medicare for all at the Mazzoli Federal Building, 600 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Place. Louisville and 33 other cities plan this march for Medicaid for all on July 24th. We'll begin at 11 a.m. in the park in front of the Federal Building, where permission from the city to use the site has been granted. The rally will be held under the trees near the corner of 7th and Chestnut, so speakers and participants alike will be in the shade. I'm so glad they put these details in the announcement I would care about that there will be some brief speeches and music then a short walk or caravan over to Breeway the square at 6th between Liberty and Jefferson. There people will be encouraged to place flowers in honor honor of Breonna Taylor to connect with her profession as a healer and to link the struggle for health care with the fight to end systemic racism. Then the group will return to where we began and share refreshments and socialize. We'll also be celebrating Medicare's 56th birthday. We hope you will join us in demanding that Congress take action by passing a National Single Payer Improved Medicare for All Plan. Such a plan would end the tragic denial of care that causes so much suffering and unnecessary loss of life. All kinds of co-sponsors for this, including Kentuckians for Single Payer, Healthcare Proud, Ford Radio Community Partner, and many others. For further information, you can go to kyhealthcare.org. And Come on out this Saturday, the 24th at 11 a.m. at the Mazzoli Federal Building over there in the shade at 7th and Chestnut. Also on Sunday, July 25th at 4 p.m. on Zoom, Louisville showing up for racial justice presents Grassroots Organizing to End White Supremacy after we march. Louisville showing up for racial justice political education series this month will focus on the beautiful grassroots organizing that has come from over a year of being in the streets for racial justice and justice for Brianna. We'll hear from folks across the community who've been out in the streets and are now also creating visionary and powerful ways to transform this white supremacist capitalist patriarchy so that we can all get free. If you are not yet engaged with this work, this is the place for you, and if you are you'll be inspired. You can register for the Sunday 4 p.m. Zoom at Louisville, S-U-R-J dot That's LouisvilleSurge.org. And finally, on Monday the 26th, it's Bluegrass Art of Taste, a dinner to benefit Slow Food Bluegrass at Naive Restaurant in Butchertown. The second annual Arc of Taste dinner supports the work of Black Market Kentucky and Slow Food Bluegrass's Garden Grant. A four-course meal, unlimited spirits, and a swag bag will be provided. Slow Food Bluegrass's annual fundraising dinner is a celebration in preserving foods that face extinction. At the beautiful Naive Restaurant, Chef Patrick Roney from Ashburn Farms and Naive's Executive Chef Drew Corman will prepare a four-course meal in concert with sustainable products and paired with natural wines and locally produced beer. They're thrilled to present Chantrice Martin as the guest speaker. Chantrice is the director and founder of Black Market Kentucky, a healthy grocery store focused on combating food apartheid in the west end of Louisville 20% of the proceeds from the dinner will support Black Market Kentucky with the remainder going directly to Slow Foods 2021 Garden Grant recipient as an organization that promotes good clean and fair food for all they support our local food system through garden grants and partnerships to help individuals and organizations practice sustainable gardening and farming techniques get your ticket to support our local food economy with a delicious dinner you can find the link to purchase that's on the calendar over at Council.org. again it's Monday the 26th at 6.30pm at Naive Restaurant in Butchertown but you're going to need to get your tickets so go on over to the calendar at Sustainability Council.org to get yours today and that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now thanks so much for tuning in I'll be back in your ears again in one week's time my friends be well It's a crazy life Don't bother me